Welcome. My name is Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister of St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse, but today I'm not in Stonehouse. Today I'm incredibly lucky to be here near Oban for a few days, looking out the, the islands of Mull and Lismore. I can assure you it wasn't quite as tranquil as the rain battered down and the wind blew last night. I'm here to rest and to think, not quite a holiday, but definitely time for a wee bit of self-care. Today in our time together we're going to be confronted by another question asked of Jesus and an answer which gets to the very heart of what God wants for all of us. Fiona reads from Matthew 22 verses 34 to 46. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dare ask him any more questions. The questions are becoming thick and fast from all the different religious and political groups to Jesus for over a week now. They've all come to him in the temple to try to trip him up, to find him out, to bring him down. He's dealt with all of them. He sent them all packing. Finally, it comes down to this. The scene is set, the crowds are quiet, waiting in anticipation. The Pharisees have one final question. One of them, an expert in the law, asks, oh, I wonder what it'll be this time. I wonder what trap they'll set. I wonder what clever wordplay they'll employ. Here it comes, shh. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? That's it. Really? An expert in the law. And that's what he's come up with. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? That's a rubbish question. Everyone knows the answer to that. It's the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So why does he ask? There's no trap here, is there? Like every other question they've asked, this one is loaded. It seems really straightforward. The question every child knows the answer to. It's so obvious they stopped arguing about it centuries ago, so why ask? Why put this seemingly innocuous question to Jesus? Do you ever watch Prime Minister's Question Time? The opposition parties ask hard questions of the government, and the government side often ask questions that start with, would the Prime Minister agree with me that... And these questions are supposed to lead the Prime Minister into reinforcing a political point or supporting a policy or saying well done to somebody. The question the lawyer asked Jesus is one of those questions. Would you agree with me that... 
But if the question only has one right answer, then why ask? All week, Jesus has been occupying the temple. He's healed the sick, cured the lame, and cleared out the market stalls and moneylenders. He's been engaged in this strange game of winner stays on, debating with anyone that's got an axe to grind. And he's still here. And his answers have got more and more pointed. These parables about wicked tenants and wedding feasts that both end up with people who are supposed to be good tenants or invited guests being thrown out or killed. And they know that he is talking about them. And if he's talking about them as wicked tenants or guests who refuse the invite, then the other parts of the parable must be about him. The stories all have a son in them. Does that mean it's him? Is he saying that he's the son of God? Is he saying that he is God? And if he is, then that's blasphemy. So instead of asking all these trick questions, maybe we should have started at the most important one, which is the greatest commandment goes to the heart of Jesus' identity. If he's saying he's the son of God, then maybe he'll trip over the answer to this really simple question. I mean, if he thinks he's God, who knows what he might say? But Jesus gives the right answer. He knows who he is. He knows his relationship with God, his Father. And love your neighbour as yourself. Sorry, what? I only asked for one. Just one. Singular. Pick the best one. The most important one. That was the question. Nobody asked for a list. Love your neighbour as yourself. What, where did that come from? That's neat. It's not even on the list. It comes from Leviticus chapter 19. And obviously we all know that because we've read Leviticus loads of time. But on the off chance that you haven't, then maybe take a moment, maybe even press pause and go and read Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus is a law book. It contains what has become known as the Holiness Code, a set of rules that lay out how the people of God should live. They're the rules that the Pharisees say they're really keen on enforcing and upholding. And Jesus picks something right in the middle of it that's basically a commentary on the giving of the Ten Commandments and everything that flows from that. Moses had gone up the mountain to speak to God and came back with this set of laws. Jesus starts his public ministry by doing something similar. He went up a hill. He delivered what's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon is all about the commandments, which start with what he calls the Beatitudes, this strange list of the least likely people who Jesus says are blessed. And here, almost at the end of his ministry, just days before he'll be crucified, Jesus is still talking about the same thing. Leviticus 19 gives instruction about temple practices like eating sacrificial food, but it goes on to talk about leaving crops at the edge of the field for the poor and the refugee. It talks about honesty. You shall not render unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbour. You shouldn't slander people or profit by the blood of your neighbour. It talks about morality and power, about environmental stewardship, about truthfulness and accountability. And there in the middle of all of that is verse 18. It's this phrase that's so easy to skip past. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself is the second part of a sentence. A sentence that starts with, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people. This isn't some random quote from the law. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. They absolutely have a grudge and they want vengeance against him. Jesus knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly who they are. But his choice of a second commandment, this ancient instruction at the heart of the holiness code, the laws which the Pharisees are so keen to uphold in every minute detail, 
It's the final undoing of them all. The law is the standard they judge everyone else on, but it's the standard that they themselves fail. And Jesus sums it up in three parts. Love God, love your neighbour, and love yourself. And to be honest, that's really hard. All of it's hard. We struggle to love God. We're pretty poor at loving our neighbour sometimes, and we're even worse at loving ourselves. Some of that struggle is about not knowing how. There's a nonsense that goes around that love is some kind of mysterious thing that you have no control over and it, it just magically happens and I'm not sure that that's true. I think we decide to love. Sure, romantic love, the attraction between people happens, but that's not the same thing. It's not what Jesus is talking about here. We learn how to love, we see it and we copy it, we experience it and we try to emulate it. We decide to try it so that we practice and practice until we become better at it. The Pharisees haven't practiced love. They've practiced greed and power and suspicion. So it shouldn't be a surprise that the thing they've become expert in, most of all, is being afraid. It's fear that undermines love. The fear of being rejected, the fear of being alone, the fear of not being enough. And that fear can lead to all kinds of behaviours and in the Pharisees it's led to them grasping onto power because to let go, to follow God wherever God is leading without knowing what that will look like or where it will lead us, it's just too scary. We all crave certainty, especially in these uncertain times. It's just another item to add to the list of things that make us fearful. As Yoda once said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. So perhaps it's time for each of us to do a spot check. How am I doing at loving God this week? Have I spent time in God's company? Have I tried to find out more about God and let God know more about me? How am I doing at loving my neighbour this week? Have I checked in with the people around me? Not just my friends. What have I done this week to make someone's life better? And what about me? How am I doing at loving myself this week? What have I done to look after myself? Those are like three legs of a stool. Ourselves, others and God. If one of the legs is missing, then the stool falls over. If one is shorter than the others, then the stool is imbalanced and we need to work really hard to stay on the stool. It's the last one that can be hardest of all though. We can feel all kinds of guilt about taking time to ourselves. There's so much to be done. So many problems to be solved. So much to be scared of. But here's a thought to encourage you. God loves you. God thinks that you are worthy of loving. And not just in some kind of philosophical way, in a flesh and blood, sacrificing everything kind of a way. You matter. You matter to God. God loves you. So love God. Love one another. And love yourself. Church is not here. Church bells no longer herald the way for Sunday morning worship. The pews are empty and the building as quiet as a tomb, not even graced by the rustle of angel wings. A layer of dust has settled on the lectern and the only light seeps in through the decorative glass staining the walls in a rainbow of colours 
during brief moments of natural brightness, a beauty for no living soul to see. Church is not here anymore. God's word has broken free from stone walls and Sundays, no longer confined to a place and schedule, but timeless, omnipresent, ever living in a world shut down by disease. The congregation has spilled out through the open doors one last time and scattered across the land like tiny seeds of hope being sown, taking root and beginning to grow. Ever-loving God, Mother and Father of all, Creator and Guardian of everything that we perceive, we come together today in praise and joy to give thanks for your love and to rejoice in the gifts you have given. We pray for our world, which has been terrorised by the implications of COVID-19. We ask for your eternal protection and those who work to keep your beloved children safe. In a time where the interdependence of all people has become ever more evident, and yet the divisions that plague our societies have become ever more obvious, we ask for the boldness to acknowledge our prejudice and to work for justice for all peoples. We pray for your church, for the individuals who make up this body of Christ and for the institutions that organise and facilitate the gathering of your church and community. In this time of change and hardship for a people who have lost the privileged position once occupied by Christians in the Western world, Help us to see the gift that this can bring, to guide us towards a simpler, faithful church, focused on love of you, love of our neighbour and ourselves. We pray for each person listening here today, as we each chart our own path through life, seeking to do good, at times succeeding and at times failing, that we may each find strength in your love to live well and show the radical love offered in and commanded by your Son today and every day. Hear us now as we join in the words you taught us, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.
as we close our time together and return to the daily rhythms, may we find ways of loving God with our hearts, our minds and our souls. And then pay it forward to our friends, our family and our neighbours and to love ourselves. So go with God's love sustaining you today, tomorrow and every day. Amen. Thank you.